you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Brought to you by Mind Architecture. Building worlds for your mind. All right, so what's going on? If you can hear me, I can... I'm uh, hitting start video, and somehow I'm not getting that guy to be... I wonder if I have to... I am hearing you. Do you hear me? You're. Um, we're going back to Pulp Fest. You're the shadow. Exactly. I'm a, I might have to get out of Zoom and come back in yeah. because I suspect it doesn't have that connection. So sorry about this. Miracle back of in, Tech, we can edit. Exactly. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Much better. All right. Yay. Oh. So, Alan, it's been like two weeks. We skipped last week. There's been a lot going on. You, exactly. We, you, we were both schedule constrained and busy boys and stuff like that. Yeah. Sorry about that. And, of course, as usual, the accumulation of what, how are we going to get through all this? It's, just, just talk like those used car salesman guys. <laughs> exactly. So, let's see. What Last week, I went to see Extreme yes, and please. Living Color. Tell and, me that. Uh, that sounds wonderful. It was, I really like both of those bands. They're from like 80s going into 90s. And, but they were still, it's for both of them, all the members of the original band, or at least so far as I could tell. And most important, it was the lead guitarist, who are both amazing, Vernon Reed and Nuno Betancourt, and the lead vocalists, which is, let's see, to stay corresponding, let's see, Corey Glover and Gary Sharon. So, having said that, they just, they played all the songs I wanted to hear. They had enough new material that it was, and it isn't the, Oh God, new material! Please go back to what I already love. No, they really—they were. There was good, vital stuff. It was. They're still making good music. So much. A lot of what they had to say back then is still true today. A lot of how hard they rock still matters, even if they're in their fifties. I nowadays I always wear earplugs because I worry about my old ears getting tinnitus and stuff like that. But just they. And, and it was just me. Colleen doesn't tend to like the strangle the guitar kind of guitar play, strangle the neck of the guitar. But that, that just gave me, I made a point of getting a seat. I didn't keep my assigned seat. I went even further back so I'd have some room around me so that I could play my air guitar, my e chord, just bop around because there's a lot of the Alva human eclipse. I'm in people's way anyway. Why not get out of their way and give myself a little bit of dancing in my seat room and stuff? And so just had the greatest time with... Some people really have skill and it stays with them. You know what I mean? Like, I have slowed down as much as I know a lot of different tech. I am nowhere near current on everything I could know about how we design apps and databases and websites and how they all come together. And that's the last thing I was doing was convergence like that to make sure I knew all of that work. And yet there's so much a continual advancement and the world got to Boy, we used to have releases were a big thing that you tested the heck out of everything and made sure it was good. And nowadays, things really seem to go out all the time on the fly. They do A-B testing, and not only on the basis of which feature do you like better, but does the feature even work? So They're doing that with movies now, too. The the (laughs) Spider-Man, Spider-Verse movie for the theater or the 
streaming release, they altered. I, there's a lot of talk about all the stuff they altered from the original theater. So um, it's branching into other avenues and video games. They get so they're so big and so many people and they're so rushed that they shove them out and they know it's look, we've got three months it's gold, but we got three months until it's actually live. We're going to make some more fixes. You're going to get like a three gig day one patch. It's just the, the nature yeah. of it all, it seems. And nowadays, because everything is digital, you really can send out an update instead of having to have, well, print new films in cans and send them out to the other thousand theaters or whatever like that. So it, and it's like, which one of the things I wanted to talk about, there's so many things nowadays where they don't even have to make it like perfect or foolproof. They make it so that the user is in control a lot of how they access their data, whether it's updating an appointment or whether it's paying a bill or something like that. And they can't make it that it really screws up and doesn't accept your credit card or you, that you can't make a connection. But all the things you used to put in place for the data entry, for cleanup of things so you couldn't put bad data in, they just make it. If you spell your own name wrong, you're responsible. If you don't know from one side to another that you've been consistent as to whether you were street or ST or all, all the things that we used to do to make sure there was data cleansing, that it really mattered, especially when uh, memory was an important, that is storage, was like a limited thing. Nowadays, when you've got terabytes of data everywhere, it really doesn't matter that you rationalize things down to the most efficient way of saying things, except that they, when we first had text in, it was very much, you saw people saving characters everywhere they could. So there's a whole subset of language that's based on all those abbreviations and all those, and like leaving off punctuation. And then of course, in order to be righteous about it, it's not just leaving off punctuation. It's now if you use it, you're being angry, you're being stuffy, you're being old fashioned. And what I love how that works in society that was once was necessity becomes preference becomes righteous. Do you know what I mean? So there's a whole discussion, I guess, to be had there. But one of the things I love is what, so while we're up in Detroit, like it used to be, I've done trip planning for all the time that Colleen and I have been together. And you put together the little, what are the addresses of all the places you're going to be staying or we're doing a cross country trip. And nowadays you can really just go to Detroit. And you've got mapping software that'll let you find wherever you're going. And I know this isn't like a revolutionary thought to all the kids that have grown up with smartphones and stuff. And pardon me for saying kids, all the adults <laughs> that have indeed grown up in a different world than I have. But I really do love the fact that I can find my way around. I can find reasonable breakfast, lunch, dinner places. I can look at all the different museums in Detroit and find out that, oh, we're there Monday, Tuesday, but the Motown Museum is closed Monday. I wanted to go. You don't have to go to the place, see that it's dark and go, fuck me. Who would have thought that any museum would be closed right. except for holidays? I, I really love the fact that you can interact with all those things on the fly. And sometimes you pay the penalty if you don't get tickets beforehand, then you can also go where it's just sold out. You didn't realize it was so popular that it might be sold out. Right. And I've been the number of times I've been disappointed by that compared to all the cool things that we've been able to do on the fly, you make a list of possibilities and then you just kind of go, which one do we feel like doing? Oh, it's raining. Let's not do the hike we were going to do. Let's go inside. And are we going to do a hike or not? It used to be look at the sky and you hope that you understand what's going on with the weather. Nowadays, you can pull up the weather app and say, oh, rain is expected at 2 p.m. We can still do a whole hike from 9 to 1 and get back to the car in time. So I just really do love all the modern conveniences of that. And the smartphone and that, I don't know, 
it isn't drinking from the higher hose. We're very good about selecting exactly the data that we want. And you learn, hey, for a restaurant review, maybe you check a couple sources because people can stunt that where you get a whole bunch of your friends to say, yeah, this pizza place is the best ever. I like that there's a new discipline in being able to consume that data smartly so that it'll look multiple source places for what's the best price on a hotel. And some places you learn which ones like Southwest isn't included in kayak ratings or whatever else it might be. I know I'm talking a little bit about it too much, but it's really cool to be the, the discipline of learning how to handle that ocean of data that you're in. And I know I've even done a talk about this, about drinking from the fire hose is you can't just say, I'm going to pick the first one and hope you learn which ones to trust. I really trust consumer reports ratings for things nowadays. There's lots of other review sites, but you can tell by reading them which ones seem disciplined, which ones seem more colloquial, which ones seems to be like, wow, do you have like a brother-in-law that works for Hitachi? And that's why you keep recommending all the, it, it's, right. it, I like being a smart consumer of data in the ways that it used to be even harder to do the research. Consumer reports, you had to get the magazine in the mail. You had to go to the library and look up old, old car reviews and stuff like that. And now it's so easy to do smart choices quickly. And having said that, it really boggles my mind when I still know that people are like, so you just went on the lot and pointed at a car and said, I'll take that one. You didn't try to find out what its safety rating was or its reliability or its but gas mileage or anything. <laughs> it's amazing that with with all this available that some people they brush up against it and they're like oh i don't want to bother with that is all your life like that that everything has been eh, i'll take the first thing eh, i don't know i it matters to me like when we shop for our new tv i didn't want to get a tv that crapped out in three years that wasn't compatible and all wasn't current wasn't the right thing for the money so it okay, was... hold that hold that thought before we yes. get on to TV because I want to hear about your new TV because okay. <laughs> uh, my TV is a it's a 3D TV. I've got a 3D Blu-ray. I've still been able to watch 3D movies. I've got a whole stack of them. I watch That's very them. cool. Uh, yeah. I still love 3D movies, but the 3D Blue Player I think is dead, and we're starting to see some artifacts on the TV. So I'm like, oh, that's getting very close but i was gonna make a okay. comment on extreme we've talked about sellouts we've talked about music and how it changes over on artist lifetime our lifetime the stuff i listen mm -hmm. to changes and the artist changes they get older like we said a week or two ago the rap artist yeah i really don't believe you're the gangster running from the police when you're in a five million dollar home extreme right. you can't be angry for 40 years you just can't <laughs> and i think the artists that change with that and their audience changes with them uh is sometimes some good stuff it, it rush changed a lot in its career but extreme right. is that oddball surprise that everybody knows them from the more than words song that that was like oh extreme and that's, that's not right. them at all go listen to the album it's shred and it's heavy rock guitar rock and they still do that and pull it off it's like exactly. one exception to that rule i agree it, it, that's there's that song wholehearted and more than words yes, and also yes. sing the song of love they have a couple things that are really beautiful but they're in between all of that great crunch shred rock and yeah. roll and and I, I like the fact that that they can be in both camps and in fact when the, the, they did things back in the era of mtv that doesn't seem to be a factor anymore but they even their video 
for more than words made fun of the other two guys in the band that really aren't involved in a vocal and acoustic guitar type song they're the ones that are like holding up the lighter because this is such a great song that the crowd will love and stuff so the fact that i'll tell you nuno bentoncourt's been a guitar hero of mine for a long time and people talk about how because you live in a world where there's eddie van halen how do you break through? You live in a world with Jimi Hendrix and every, a lot of great guitarists. Yeah. Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton and a whole bunch of people have said, I knew I had to become more bluesy because I wasn't going to win the guitar hero thing with Hendrix in the world. You know what I mean? It. I think that like even the way he played on stage, he kept, he's so amazing that while he's doing the, his songs, he's throwing in litigal little snippets of classical music or like just going off track and then coming back with even more crunch to it and stuff like that. So he threw in some flight of the bumblebee and if anybody who can play like a full orchestra's worth of music on their guitar, <laughs> that's an amazing thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, and let me digress for a moment. I wore my Paul Bialatovich t-shirt to Costco yesterday. He's the guy that can play Emerson Lake and Palmer keyboard parts on the guitar. Nobody knows who he is quite yet. He so much deserves acclaim, but he's been playing with Carl Palmer in their ELP re-experience band for a bunch of years. And just, we saw him at Visible Voices Books. He doesn't seem determined to become the stadium arena level crowd guy, but he's just an amazing player. While I was at Costco, someone came up because that's so obscure and said, Oh, did you see them? And we had this wonderful conversation. You know, when you get people that you wear the odd t-shirt and you hope that someone will know what the hell you're talking about. It's very much a geek thing that if you're like a high math t-shirt or a science or (laughs) an obscure rock band thing. So really a nice conversation on that basis. And then back to Bettencourt, I used to always talk about, you got to listen to this album just for the the fact that he can play like like Eruption was Eddie Van Halen's thing. When you hear what he does with Flight of the Bumblebee, it's just amazing. And I know I'm going on too much. I know what you're saying about he really has been consistent. I don't know where they went for the last eight or 10 years. The time between albums five and six, and this latest album is called Six. And by the way, a great ape logo on the big backdrop behind the screen, a big gorilla face looking all aggressive and stuff nice. like that. It They didn't just, I don't know, go relax on an island, get soft, and then come back because the money was good for the reunion tour. Sure sounds like they've been crafting songs and that six album is a near perfect album every single cut on it is strong they're still rocking out it's i'm so glad that they're still around and And same thing hearing cult of personality live oh i would have have seen them maybe even more so actually honestly they especially the opening chords to that song are one of those i get chills i get my that i get the hair on my arms is up when and it just that this burst of energy is coming Wow. He was the bassist, Mutt Scullings or something like that. He was one of yeah. my idols that I listened to a lot back in the 90s when I was playing a lot. And yeah. you mentioned the shred and all that. But what I loved about this new album with Betancourt is you get the solos. And if you listen to them, and a lot of people look at me like, huh, what are you talking about? And you can always tell the music people versus the non-music people because okay. I'm like, what I love about the Betancourt solos on this new album is they fit the songs and they don't go too long and they're different. I said, I go here or I've heard bands, I've heard songs, I've heard live things. They're playing this gr- grungy, nice song. And then you get the guitar player goes, what are you like, 
what the hell was right. that? It doesn't fit the song. <laughs> yeah, where then, did that come from? And yeah. how do you get back into the song from right. here? You do right. the next song, and the next song's more bluesy. The first one was a, a crunchy rocker, and the guitar playing the chords, and the guitar player gets to the solo and goes, eh! That's the same freaking <laughs> solo, dude. I don't care that you do every solo as fast as possible, as high a note as possible, and just as many notes as possible. That does not impress me or care. When the solos fit is when it matters to me. And that's one of the things I always like about Leopard. If you go listen to Def Leopard, they, especially Hysteria and the- Pyromania. Before, no, not Pyromania so much. Hysteria and after, they had almost dueling guitars. They didn't just strum crunchy chords so much. They had dueling guitars and you don't hear a lot of strummed guitar as opposed to- melodic notes going on between the two guitars forming the whole yeah, that's very note. cool i'll have to go re-listen with a new ears yes. more appreciation okay and you'll hear that and now pyromania definitely a classic great rocking song or album but they are pyromania and hysteria are different albums and you have people say oh yeah they were good in pyromania but after that hysteria sucked and other people no, are like oh got i better, got into man. them at hysteria yeah i really i love that musicality in fact so many of my favorite guitarists are not the ones that are like wow that burst of energy in the middle of the song and but i don't know david gilmore is great steve hackett is great that they really they are melodic they write steve howe so many good things where it's like it doesn't disrupt it it actually maybe it's a an energizer to the song or that they put the guitar solo at the end when you want it to be that big crescendo and then drop the guitar because you're done it isn't that you have to go back into the song all right that love was our opening song love. thank you good night <laughs> i'll tell you love to love by ufo with michael shanker playing yeah. that's one of those songs that it does close with that great ending guitar solo and it really that's what i used to live to listen to to get ready for intramural football games in college it just gets amps you up so much and just that when it comes to the end of the song you're like oh i'm ready to go and you, get, you run out the door <laughs> and you run out of the locker room thing. so here let me relate a story years ago when colin was still teen he played a summer rock school over at woodsy's music Um, And Mm -hmm. basically kids sign up and they put them together and they have an instructor that works with them and they play some songs and then they get to go play at one of the clubs in Kent that sponsored it. And it was, I thought, great. He loved it. He had a great time. But the guitar player came in and said, oh, yeah, I'm good. And that's what he did. He, He played like four solos of other people's solos that he had memorized and four of them. And the guy in charge of it was actually a bass friend of mine from back in college days. And he's like, okay, great. But we'll get to the solo. Let's play the song. And he said, right, we're going to be a band here. Yeah. Everybody gets to play, not just stand back while you shred. Okay. Exactly. He's like, let's just play this. And he goes, I don't know how to play chords. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know how to play chords? He's like, I don't know what a C chord is. What's that? Do you know the frets? He's like, no, I just watched YouTube and memorized the hand placement until it was muscle memory. And I'm like, you're not a musician i'm sorry to say that you are not a musician (laughs) it's good that you're here in school but don't think that you're like in the ap class you're actually just starting off to understand what you're not even started off yet you you don't know the basics and he couldn't keep time he could he knew the fast shred stuff and then the rest of it he didn't know how to keep time he kept getting off and if he got off even on his own solo if he got off he had to start all over again he couldn't just pick up and it caused a lot of problems of course the singer was a girl that was younger than the guys 
and her father thought she was the next Whitney Houston and came in and said, okay, I picked out the three songs for them to do. And here's what they're doing. And Dave goes, her remarkable instrument. And Dave's no, everybody gets one song. He's like, my daughter, she's not going to sing those other songs. Yeah. You sing all the songs. That's how it is. It was an experience. Colin did good. He had a good time, but man, one song that she picked jar of hearts by somebody parent. I I forget. It's a good song. I'll get that. But, there wasn't really a drum part, so he just kept time on the edge of the snare oh, the whole song. He's I'm falling asleep here. <laughs> it was an experience, let me tell you. There's a great if our fans want to look up Paco Bell's Canon is a relatively famous piece that Rob Harbonian, I think I just talked about this, has done an actual a cool YouTube video about he was a cello player way back in high school because that's how cool he was. And they had a, a, a place for them. The piece that they play in Pokeball's Canon is like 54 quarter notes just again and again. And he makes fun of that because it's not only did he hate it while he had to do it, but that it's following him around. There's so many songs that include exactly that note or chord sequence i think it's notes yeah. that he can't kind of can't get away from it <laughs> and so he goes on this it's i think it's called the Paco bell rant you know what i mean that, <laughs> okay that, i'll try that, and that, look it up but show notes yeah, have you yeah. heard of axis of awesome no <laughs> you need to look those guys up okay. they're a band but they so musicians learn this that 80 percent of the songs on radio 80 percent of the songs you like and listen to have the same chord structure that there's very few that don't even progressive hard rock whatever you you hear people that go oh no my band's unique they play no if they played unique chords it would be probably jazz (laughs) or fusion and you probably wouldn't listen to it that the thing is the reason you like them is because they have that same structure and non-musicians don't get it but musicians it's great because i know this four chord sequence Okay, name name a song and I'll probably be able to play with you. Let's go. <laughs> you can play that song yeah. on, on the cruise boat or at the wedding or oh, God, you know, just yes. that. This is awesome. Bring this to the forefront in a parody fashion. So okay. the keyboard players, oh, that song. And the guy's, no, that's this song. He's, no, it's the same song. And he starts <laughs> playing chords. And it's the, what is it, one, six, four, five sequence that okay. he plays just over and over and over. But they sing like 45 songs over top of it. And they exactly just, work. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you should look that up. I'll look for a link in the show notes because it all every now and then I'll just put them on because they crack me up. And it's so true. You could look up lists of songs for beginning guitar players. You, you like the blues, the one, four, five progression of the blues. You can look up. All right. Here's the 375 songs that you can play. Just learn the lyrics and you're good. And you got a repertoire already. Yeah. You're an accomplished. Very funny. Mensa used to have a feature at many of their annual gatherings or at some of the bigger gatherings like Halloween, where the Steinheises and there was there were four siblings. They did a thing called the Steinheis Capades, and what they discovered was that you could sing the tune "Amazing Grace" with all kinds of lyrics from all the songs that it's been made use of because the rhythm of it, like Gilligan's Island, works if you sing it. Right. Uh, along the way of amazing grace and any number of other things and that them finding that out that it really was once again whatever that particular sequence works for enough songs to fill an hour performance and how witty they were with sometimes it speeds up and sometimes it slows down and, but it's embedded in so much music that's right. something i don't think the rest of the world got a chance to see because it was very much a mensa quirky cool thing but i was lucky i think one of my very first ags maybe st louis or something like that they did it at and i was just 
this is what Vince is all about. Yeah, this exactly. People with this cool talent, and they discover this, and then they're playful about it. I just hats off to Charlie and Eileen, and I hope I can remember Kim. Why am I Miss Jessica? I think are, are, were the four. I'm boy. I apologize to the Steinheises if I don't, and they'll it'll never be done again because I think that one of them has passed away, and that really, you know how it is. They don't want you. You might be able to replace somebody in a band. You kind of can't replace a sibling. It's exactly. Just yeah, that that just, would have brought it to a close. Right. But so, wow. have, have you looked up any of the mashups videos that are out there? A, a number of, in fact, you know, Emily, a friend, has thrown a whole bunch my way. Where it really was, people are very clever at being able to detect how one can segue into the other, ACDC and especially when they're unlike the things. Like, yeah, the, exactly. The Saturday morning cartoon show and the hardest shred metal you can imagine, and yet they work together somehow. Yeah. Very fun. I saw one that was <laughs> was it. Parliament Funkadelic? No, that doesn't sound right. It was one of the funk, like hip hop bands in the seventies. They mashed up with Kiss, Boogie Wonderland with okay. a, a Kiss song, and Colin was listening to. It. He's like, "Oh my god, that is so perfect!" It's just you can't <laughs> unhear it after you hear it, and the songs by themselves almost sound bare without that mashup anymore. One of the reasons that I love jam bands, and that's a whole subgenre of rock. It's formerly Grateful Dead and all the offshoots of that fish and there's a whole bunch like mo and pigeons playing ping pong that i've heard of and i've seen a couple of them live but there's a whole jam cruise and a friend of mine robert might have an extra ticket laying about the place so i might actually get to go on this thing and i just i love the musicality of sometimes when you see a jam band they look they sound like they're psychic that there's a hive mind going on and when they turn abruptly on, on a dime all together into a different part of the song or just the fact that they can build the groove the funky groove that they're all just enjoying and the whole crowd is just swaying and enjoying it there's it's not about how many notes can i play by any stretch even though all of them are incredibly accomplished musicians we've talked about this with weird al's band as well they can play anything so it sounds just right but to also be able to play and then goof off diverge go over here and then come back to the main theme or motive motif it's very cool to see people that can do that, that know yeah. music so well, that they can be playful and random about it, but always come back to the through line. I love that. There's just something really magical about that. Yeah, so <laughs> Jamming, it, it, I played jazz in college, and a large mm-hmm. part of jazz is everyone getting a chance to solo if you want. that. Just that extended jam is part of the song yeah. when you learn it. And you got your background rhythm guys, me and the drums, and you guys all work together. And like you said, those changes, like, okay, after solos, we're going to take it up three steps. We're going to do this, whatever. And it adds more energy to it. But some of the best soloists, again, they don't they don't just go for 20 minutes as fast as they can. Mm-hmm. What makes the live version of Freebird so good is it's a musical song just in the jam. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's got so much in there that's not just them crunching guitars for 20 minutes. Yeah, I think we might have just talked about this in a previous episode. Things are getting a little bit jumbled in my mind because we've done so many of these. I don't remember what we talked about. <laughs> I used to go to this also having just had musical conversations with multiple people over these last couple of weeks, often I'm thinking that it's you and I talking because we talk about wonderful things like this often. <laughs> it might have been with the guy with Paul Bialatovich that I just talked to. I used to go to see the G3 series. They had three great guitarists, each of whom got to do like a 30 to 45 minute set. And so 
various different combinations of the Steve Vai and Joe Satrianic and Eric Johnson and Robin Trower and Alan Holdsworth, great guitarist. And one I saw was like the last, I think it was Eric Johnson, Alan Holdsworth and Robin Trower. And I thought that I was going to enjoy Alan Holdsworth the most because he's really a great technical guitarist. And a lot of other guitarists talk about how he can just do things that nobody else can do. And yet he played beautifully and it was a little math rocky, but it's really absorbed me because of what he can do. The guy I ended up enjoying the most was Robin Trower because He's he's amazing and doesn't try to do the guitar pyrotechnics a lot of. Like, he doesn't even look at his guitar while he plays. He's just kind of like leaning back away and letting the music transport him and a lot of bendy notes. And just his songs, all instead of all sounding fast and, and shreddy, he really does things with dynamics, with fat, you know, loud and soft and oh, yeah. with the various different speed ups and stuff. And so just to see that someone can really do a dramatic song and then go into a kind of a ballady easy song, it's the way that he was able to structure his concert. She said, man, this guy is such a like an accomplished guitar player he doesn't i think that he plays of course for the crowd but mostly he just seems to be up there enjoying himself and yeah. and he found out that other people enjoy what i do too he's, he's really was so one of good. those guys that he's not playing music so much as it's flowing through him from some like other that. dimension exactly <laughs> robert fripp talks about that and yeah. i don't that I hear that in his music as well, because his is still quite technically complex, often lots of notes. And yet he talks about how it really, he's an interpreter, a vessel for the music coming into him. And when the show's over, he can't go out there and necessarily do two encores because it's over. The music has moved on right. to its resting place and he can't bring it back in. So I, I don't know that I agree with the mystical aspect of that. And yet, if some of my guitar heroes really say, I, the mindset that I go into is, I'm open, let the music enter me, and then beautiful things happen, and that when they're done, it, you can't get, you can't grab that beautiful let, creature well, and let, let put me a just, on them. <laughs> let me say, so Fripp is very well studied and very technical, but okay. he knows when to play that fast, when to play it slow, when to play a little chord and let it hold. He, it's very studied. Yeah. But the mystical part, unless you're a musician and you actually experience it, how do you describe that to somebody? I can say, I totally get what they're saying. There have been times playing, you get the guys that you're playing with, you're at the right setting, the right mindset, and it's almost like you're an out-of-body experience. Like You're not even thinking of what you're playing, and the notes are coming out, and you're like, who the hell just played that? And it's, oh, that was me. But you don't even realize it till later. It's like you're watching it from afar. I I totally get what they're saying. Now, does that mean it's otherworldly? Does that mean it's supernatural? Define otherworldly and supernatural in that context and we'll see. But I'll tell you, it's you have to experience it because you cannot describe it. And it does happen. And you know when it happens. It's not, oh, yeah, I think it happened. No, you don't think it happened (laughs) when it happens. My experience with that, because I'm nowhere near an accomplished musician as much as I enjoy listening. And I tried so hard to get better at keyboards while I was in college with my one in the morning studio time and stuff like that. <laughs> Where I experience it is a different things like coding that yep. I will sometimes just, and I always bring flow, the concept by Chick Sent Me High about how you just, you summon that uninterrupted, all the things are working together state, time fades away. It, when I solve puzzles, it's at this kind of, uh, at one point, like we had a gaming group that got together and they handed me like a burr puzzle that was supposed to be a really tough one. And honestly, 
while I was like talking with them about how I've always loved puzzles and then I solved it. Like Rob and Troll were not even really looking at it. And then when they're like, what what did you just do? It was like, I don't know, man. I've always had a facility with these kinds of things. I look at it and I see what are the parameters that you're going to have to operate within. And then your mind goes into this one, two, three, four, five, six deep ply as to is there a sequence in which this has to happen? How is what is the end product like? And how do you work your way outwards, backwards from that? And then you just do it. And unthinkingly, and for people that that really brute force it to figure it out, I understand how it's real work and energy and triumph when they get it. But, and I'm not magic, I can't do this all the time, but I've done this any number of times. I think I mentioned working with K-Don puzzles at Halloween, the big Mensa gathering, that I take a break and I go sit down at the latest version of one and she go, nobody solved it yet, but Alan's here now. And you get really puffy pride from that. But it was really true that I would just say, Hey, Kate, so how are we doing? Let's catch up. And you know how it is. You look at it. A lot of those things were like pieces in trays puzzles. So you look at it. Which are the ones that are the trickiest? So you put the big rocks in first, and you save your easy, will fit multiple places for the last. And you work your way through, okay, finish this corner, and then keep working around. And then, boom, you're done. And once in a while, there's like maybe having to undo a couple steps, but not having to dump the tray where you have to start all over again. And who knows how my mind works. It's a little bit of Whatever that amazing thing is, the people that can do encryption or music or other things, a very complex thing, but the human brain is mighty. It can yeah. do amazing things without you really realizing why. Is it my mind isn't quantum, but it sure does things faster than the average bear. And I love that, that it, I can let it go working in the background, not even consciously and, doing yeah, it. It's the coolest it, thing. Maybe it's because <laughs> the parts of your brain that do that are closer together a little bit by a couple cells. And maybe the sheaves on the ganglia between them is thinner or it's not as curvy in places. So it exactly. moves faster. And maybe that's <laughs> really, the scientific explanation, but it doesn't right. really change it to be as fascinating and mystical to us. Exactly. Do I have more connections? Do I have deeper fissures? They've studied, like when they studied Einstein's brain, Part of it was, let's figure out why he could think thoughts that nobody else had ever thought before. And maybe I got some interesting things going on there. I know that we've talked about this a little bit. Everybody takes the standardized tests. And for guys and gals, it's often very disparate between math and verbal because they are a little bit trained that way by their experiences in school. But also maybe there are slight differences between male and female brains. I know that my scores, like on the ACT, were all within two points of each other. And usually there's like a 10-point difference. So whatever it is, and what I, I haven't read a little bit about it, your two lobes of your brain are connected by the corpus callosum. And that's how things that are that more abstract versus concrete, more verbal versus mathematic, there's a certain amount of moving back and forth. And music is one of those things that right. it makes use of multiple sides of your brain. Many artistic or creative endeavors do. And I got a nice thick corporate colossum, I guess. I got something that lets their G just more transport back and forth. And instead of only brute forcing it, or instead of only waiting for inspiration, it does things that they kind of co work cooperatively. And we've talked about this way long in the long ago episode. When you're debugging, when you're troubleshooting, you'll learn how to attack the possible solution space to get it so that you carve out half of it to start with. And what's the test that I can make that I'm going to eliminate half of the possibilities? And you do half and half. And all of a sudden you go from 128 to 64, to 32 to 16. You've really narrowed what kind of things you have to think about. And I think that my brain does that kind of naturally. Like when I'm looking at the maze, it doesn't just look at the path that I'm on. It does this little survey of, okay, I can see that 
this whole section of the maze seems to come to an end over here. I don't have to go down a single path leading over there. There's no way out. I see the wall to the outside wall. And you just, and you're doing that while you're actually taking a walk. You're looking at in, in secondary attention mode, how you can say, when I get to this next thing, I don't just have a random choice. I've already done a little bit of what's my better bet. And then you do it and you get, so like just regular 2D mazes, are no fun for him anymore because that facility really springs up and they if you break it with that there's 3d mazes or there's mazes that have an island that there's no left-hand rule that you could automatically solve it or uh, that kind of thing i i can be baffled by that it changes the rules of it enough that then it becomes interesting and challenging to me but no matter you can have a whole there's they have maze books that are a whole big thing <laughs> and yet if it's a 2d a two-dimensional maze it just is it's a walk. It's not even yeah. a difficult thing. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so you also brought up, we're getting back to the TV because I want to hear about what you got because I'm looking okay. for one. But <laughs> you mentioned in our chat earlier, the tech with baseball, because the interesting thing is Sunday, you came down to my neck of the woods to see baseball and I went up into your neck of the woods to you see came baseball. Up. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Exactly. Um, the, uh, the, and, and, oh, no, please. No, it, we. I love seeing minor league. For my birthday, we had gone to a an, like Erie Crushers game, which is in the Frontier League, which I think isn't even like triple or double or single A. I think it's independent. We went to a triple A game, which is the Akron Rubber Ducks. They actually are the farm team for the Cleveland Guardians. And what a it's right downtown Akron, but it's it and it's a beautiful field. Yes. Real professional baseball. The I just can't tell you how what a nice time we have. And by not being major league. It isn't, oh, 10 bucks for parking and 10 bucks for a hot dog. And if you want a t-shirt, that's 50 bucks or whatever. Prices are ridiculous in major league terms. But here, when you go down to any AAA or under, the kids get to run the base paths after the game. They have a, they have t-shirt cannons that shoot things out into the crowd. They have funny things going on the main screen and the little vignettes of, hey, we're going to go talk to these people and do a trivia. And if they win, then they get a free baseball hat full of ice cream or that kind of stuff. And I'm just that's America to me. It doesn't have to be just a big money machine. It really should be America's pastime and that it's everyone's having a nice time. We're all singing, take me out to the ball game together, all that fun, silly stuff. You're still you know, a very nice experience up with the Guardians. Yes. Yep. Yeah. The high prices, we have to pay those million dollar salaries for those guys to run around chasing balls. That's a whole exactly. discussion right there, but we did have a good time. I do agree with you though. It's it, You feel more not as connected when it's pro you have more security you have more of the f fencing up the fields further away the rubber ducks game you but can sit right bigger, behind the exactly. dugout yeah exactly we were maybe 10 rows up right behind home plate and just it felt like you were in the game on a foul tip came back it hit the net and it looked like it was heading for your face <laughs> and so you rear back but it's not oh that happens far away no and you can hear the infield chatter. You can yes. hear the ump going, ah, you can hear the call of the balls and strikes. It's very cool. Instead of it being, if I want to watch this game, I better watch the Diamond Vision screen because that's how I, I can see. really see right. what the battery is. And we doing. had good seats. We Up were like, like right. It's not ants. It's really close. And we have good seats. We were right at the end of the first baseline, right at field level. So it was great seats, but it was like we were playing in space because I'm like, this is a baseball game without sound. I don't hear the ball hitting the bat. I don't hear the ball in the glove. I don't hear anyone chattering because we were far oh, enough away. Yeah. I just couldn't hear okay. it. You know, and I was like, it just doesn't seem as baseball-y. Wow. But okay. you mentioned the tech with baseball. And yeah. I was thinking about that because my buddy 
has season tickets and that's where we got these. He's look, I don't go to all of these and we're allowed to transfer or whatever. So he transferred tickets to me now way back in the old days, that would have meant physically meeting up and him handing me the printed out tickets that he had and, and taking right. but I'll now, meet you at the Al Kaline statue or something. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But now <laughs> he emailed it to me. I got on an app and it's whoop, there it is. And the good thing about the tech with this is how backed up it really is. My we could get into a car wreck and my phone could get destroyed. And all I got to do is get on somebody's phone with the app and log in or get onto the cloud and there's my tickets. That's a benefit, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I love, I've always loved this. I have friends that are really into the baseball abstract stuff where they have just tons of statistics that have been collected over the course of the years. And so nowadays, it, it's the, sports, the uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So, it's sports D&D RPGs. It really is. You know what I mean? Where they, like, yeah, they had, we, we kept making funny references to Moneyball. If you've seen that movie, Red like Pit. they, it's about a baseball team. And I should know this, right? The, maybe the Cincinnati Reds. It'll come to me that it was, how did they put together a great team? Because instead of looking at the million dollar home run hitters, they looked at all the stats and they said, we can get this guy who draws walks and hits singles. He always gets on base, but we can get him for 300 K instead of a million dollars a year. And they put together a team of, they're not has-beens. They're not at all bad ball players. They're just the guys who get it done instead of the guys that bring the crowd to their feet and strike out two thirds of the time. You know what I mean? So that we kept whatever we had one guy that was the guy that did that. He gets on base. We had the hero. We had Corey Holcomb who hit two home runs and got five out of uh, the six runs wow. for the Arbor Ducks. Unfortunately, an eight to six losing effort they, that it was. It's very cool. They have so much stuff going on as to all of the stats about a player and stuff like that. That I'm like looking on the screen going, so where's the count? <laughs> where's yes. the balls and How many outs are and there? Outs? And I finally found it in the middle of the bottom of the screen because there was just so many numbers about, hey, they've had three triples against left-handed right. hitters and all those cool little things. I I like that, but it was also, that was a lot of data overload, if you will. <laughs> yeah, fantasy. Yeah. I've worked with a fantasy football website for about 15 years now and they crack me oh. up because they have all the stats they the players the people getting in their leagues and teams they have the stats and they sit there and they have all the runs and the numbers and i'm like and you guys want to make fun of nerds come on gee you're sitting there with all these lists of numbers <laughs> that's the nerdiest thing about a sports right. game and you, and then they play fantasy football if i put my pitcher in and i'm gonna get these points i'm like you guys are just playing a very math intensive Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> you just sent your magic user in against the, you know what I mean? Yes. Exactly. D and D. Okay. One thing I, a couple oh. of people had tablets instead of phones because they were keeping track of the box score. Hardly anybody seemed to be doing it on paper. That used to be a really standard thing is to buy the program three bucks or whatever like that. And then the kids learn, Oh, that was, a real base hit, or that was a fielder's choice, or that was an unearned run because it was a passed ball. And they learned all the terminology behind that. And when I was saying some of those things more at the Crushers game, because there were more errors and more interesting things going on, I I don't know that the crowd has that anymore. Another way in which I've aged out of the program, right. that was a big thing to be able to call the game accurately instead of saying good swing on that mister yeah you know you're right oh. that's one of the thing with the more minor league ball is they are they're definitely better than me they're definitely professional but they're not as smooth Absolutely. as the million dollar professionals playing up on the big field and, it, and that's yeah. maybe why i like the 
non-professional ball, the minor leagues more because we sat there. It's like, up, oh, he hit the ball. Up, oh, he caught it. Up, oh, he got it straight to the second baseman. Up, oh, they tagged him out. It was almost like a chess game <laughs> in how precise things move. There was very few misses or there was some unexpected events. Yes. It's like, great. We had a perfect Indy 500 race. It was boring as hell. Right. It, it, one of the things is in minor league ball, you really start to maybe triple A, you still have some really good hitters, but at the frontier league game that we went to, the pitchers are much stronger than the hitters. In many cases, the pitcher is still throwing like a 92 hour fastball and the batters are only like singles hitters. They're not necessarily RBI guys. They're not necessarily right. for, I don't think I saw anybody that was out of the two hundreds in terms of percentage and you know, batting average. So it's overwhelming. Our game was like a one, one tie going into the 10th. And then we had a cool thing because they do the thing now where you put the guy on second base and it's to end the games without going into 17 extra innings or whatever else it might be. So our game for, with was won by sacrifice fly. The guy threw it into third. It got away from the third baseman. The guy he not only made it safely to third, but then scrambled into home. Close play at the plate. He's safe. And oh, the game's over. He won. He, the guy made it in. And so it, hardly ever would you get a bad throw in major league ball. A lot of times they really do throw people out while they're trying to advance. A lot of times they really do tag them out, whatever else it might be. In this case, there was just enough not quite ready for the big show, not quite fully professional, right. that mistakes compounded and led to a run, and that was enough to win the game. So that was cool to be like, oh. Right. Hey, you know what I was thinking of? Because they put the stats of the player and stuff, and there were a couple of them that they said just came up from down in the minors. They brought him up July 27th and something like that. So this is only okay. his, his fourth pro game or whatever. And here's his stats. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, if they're like moving these people around mid season, going down the minors, pull new guys up, that must really wreak havoc for tops baseball cards, yeah. having the print news cards with the new players all the time, because it's always changing. <laughs> That's really true. And honestly, that must be a tough life. You know what I mean? To be traveling from little city to little city. And I they I know they have a program for the crushers that people like stay at fans' homes and stuff like that. You're not making a lot of money right. on the Frontier League circuit. You just love playing the game. There's a whole bunch of bull Durham going on there where there's people that just that's what they want to do more than anything else in life. They know it's never going to turn into them being a big league star, but there's nothing more they want to be doing for two to three hours an afternoon than being right. in the game. And that's cool. Okay, so... that America has room for that. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. I think before the season's out, we might make it up to a rubber ducks game. I keep wanting to say arrows. We might make it up there because like you said, 20 bucks, I can get in. I can sit almost anywhere. I can get a hot dog and ice cream. And Yeah, exactly. That's another quick side. I've gotten... Colleen was listening to the radio one time and she heard a minor league game being talked about and that one of the guys goes... The most productive rumble pony of the night is Bill Blatt. Like, rumble pony. She was so amused by that team name that she mentioned it to me. And then I went online and I found out you can buy tickets, not at the rumble pony game, but from the minor league clearinghouse site that has all of those team names. So over the course of the years, I've gotten her the rumble ponies and the sea wolves and like the yard goats all kinds of fun shirts. And then when she wears them, people always ask like, where do the yard goats play out of it? Of course, it usually says, I try to get it where it's self-explanatory. <laughs> but I, that's another way in which America is wonderfully goofy and creative. There's banana slugs, there's isotopes, there's mud hens right here in Toledo, Ohio is the mud yeah. hens. And 
I rubber ducks was one of those things. The arrows were a cool name, but the rubber ducks is memorable. That's very That's cool. True. You know what I mean? That yeah. and all the logo merchandising with the little rubber ducky for the bathtub or just the angry rubber duck where all of a sudden the duck's got biceps and stuff. Like that. <laughs> He's got guns. So. <laughs> all right. Okay. Lay us on us about this TV. Our TV died. Like really, we were watching it and a big pop tank type bang. And we luckily did not burst into flames, didn't set the electrical system in the house on fire. Yay. We were very good and careful about immediately unplugging stuff. So I went shopping and there was all kinds of not only consumer reports, but I did check multiple because sometimes consumer reports really is like lowest common denominator. But I really am looking for an even more technical view for certain things. And I ended up buying a high sense. And it's like the sixth largest in the world without my ever having heard of it before. It's a Chinese concern, but they're made four places around the world. And they've done a great job with what's the current technology, how um, dependable but inexpensive can we make it? So we looked at LG and Samsung and Sony and various others. And this one really seemed to have a great combination of features. And uh, like we it turned out to be maybe a thousand dollar TV for 800 bucks by shopping around nice. and stuff like that. And boy, that's a ton of money, but it's, 65 inches instead of 55 we figured if we're going to get a new tv and ours usually lasts 10 years you know the difference between 800 and a thousand dollars is only going to be 20 dollars a year or something like that over right. 10 years so why not try to get the and it really has uled technology electronics as we've talked about continues to be one of those cool things where you keep getting more for less whether it's stereo equipment or computers or televisions or dishwashers for that matter so far so good it really is so much better a picture that it looks like unreal. It's that there's 3D effects just from seeing how crisp the edges are yeah. for people walking through a scene and stuff like that. It's a smart TV, so it has its own operating system. In this case, it was Google. So TV's it's going to thing. kill you in your sleep. <laughs> it, it could do that. It's and we made a point of getting okay. What's the one that I can easily turn off the little camera that otherwise watches me eating Cheetos and scratching myself during the course of the game. It's uh, everything hooked up just like it should. And we didn't just stay with the Google TV and a new operating system. We really like our Roku box. We have a Roku Ultra that gets all the channels and has all the 4K and uh, Ultra HD and all. The, uh, there's always new technology terms for me to learn and which of those are marketing hype and which of those really matter. But like I said, now that we get... We've always had it that things coming through the Roku box had the capability and then your TV would scale it down as to what it could handle. Now it has Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision built in. So you nice. get great sound and great picture. It, it has ultra 4D and everything is, as so far as I can tell, high resolution and high quality. There's things you can tune to like depending on whether you're watching movies or sports or things like that, you can get different levels of motion blur and get rid of it or and sometimes it can be jarring if you have it or don't have it, depending on the context. Like sometimes things in the movie, they really want you to have the motion blur because that's how fast that thing was going. You know, that right. that fast and furious race car or whatever else it might be. Whereas in the baseball game, you want it to be that you can really see the ball all the way in instead of it stuttering, cicading on the way into the catcher's mitt. We seem to have it tuned so that for each of those various different things, we go into the mode that it wants to be. The blacks are black. The colors are vibrant. Another thing is the colors That's really, cool. they pop out at you. We look at our TV straight on, but they have some things that depending on the viewing angle, if you have a whole family around the TV, that they're really good up front, but that they fade to the sides. And ours seems to be that it's good where we want it, but it's also supposed to be good at the sides. And it's heavy. So it took a while to, okay, we're going to put it on. Yes, it fit our existing TV stand. 
we got it stable. We did like the kind of like what you're supposed to do instead of I attached cords to say, okay, this is in and the TV works. Look, we have picture. Okay, let's put, we have an antenna in for what we want local. So then we do the channel search and look, we got 73 digital channels that are being broadcast from a tower down in Parma. And then you, the biggest thing, of course, was attaching the Roku box and easy as pie. You go to that, it's got four different HDMI ports right. and you go to that port and the Roku box says, I'm here and takes over. So that all worked. We got our, we have a combination DVD and VCR player, and that guy seemed to work, except the out it is HDMI, but also the three cable things for like right, red, right. yellow, white. And that doesn't, they don't have that on the back of this TV. Yeah, so I have to see if there is a that re, re, recomposites it back into an HDMI or something like that. Might be that we're not going to be able to do whatever it did with the picture and the sound and the sync or whatever those three guys are about. So there are some things like that particular guy might be left behind, but our more modern Blu-ray DVD player hooked right up and easygoing. It was a big thing to be like, oh, I hadn't counted on spending that kind of money, but it, we're very happy with what we got. And the bigger picture, the better picture, it's just, I don't know, I find myself like, what's something that I really, I knew I wasn't getting all of it, so I've been rewatching Sandman. The graphics on that are amazing and fantasy type stuff. And so I really want to get all of what they were trying to show me. And it really is a much better experience to have the mist of when he throws sand and it makes a little cyclone and they go to hell or something like that. It looks fantastic. Instead of just being blurry blob, oop, teleport effect, that kind of thing. They really, so many places have been embracing these newer technologies for a while. And now finally I'm seeing them in their full form. So I don't know. We're very happy. Of course, it's one more remote. So we're trying to figure out, can I use my universal remote to handle everything so that I don't have to have or kind of most a rack of what I need. Oh, most of what I need. Exactly. We didn't install the sound bar because the sound from the TV is really good. That's good. And I might actually do without it. It's weird to have a nice, oh, a big wow. piece of equipment. Wow. But That's yeah. Awesome. And the only thing I might be missing is a sound bar, but it also has a little subwoofer. And I think with the bass thump, it really might be better, but Colleen doesn't like that. And so maybe we're going to have trimmed back to that this TV is going to be good enough for everything we want it to do. So keep it, keep your eye on something and report back because not all streaming services stream at the same quality. And okay. different times a day, you get different quality also. And I've noticed some things, mostly in the horror movies, like when they're black, which they probably don't put as much money into the horror movies as okay. maybe some of their movies, but you get more artifacting because it's trying to compress it and digitize it. And it. it's not doing it necessarily at the highest res. So just keep an eye. And if you notice a certain station always seems to have more artifacts or on yeah. scene transitions that it's blocky or anything like that. Cause that's what I've noticed mostly it doesn't really harm anything it's just more of a pet peeve <laughs> it's a distraction though if you're trying yeah. to immerse yourself in a movie i remember we just i just finished watching all the cold check the night stalkers and i'm willing to bet that the new tv would have made it look like wow this is old and blurry it would have even more that this was captured on i don't know what's the previous technology to hd dvd quality dvd quality video quality yeah. not so proper quality because that actually has always been more heightened than regular movies so I'll have to see, and actually a quick throwaway, hey, for our fans, if you're a Netflix subscriber, they're closing down the Netflix DVD subscription thing. Yeah. But 
the sad thing about that is that I've been using that all the time I've had it. There's a hundred thousand plus things through DVD, and at most there's ten thousand from the streaming services. So you really have more depth. And if you want to watch all the old X Files or whatever else it might be, all the old BBC Doctor Who's, you're not going to get it on the new streaming services, or they'll bring it around for a quarter or six months and then they take it away again. Having said that, I just got a cool email from Netflix saying, "Hey, thank you for being a longtime subscriber. September 29th, if I remember right, is our last day. You know what we're going to do? The top 10 movies in your queue, we're going to send them to you. You get to have this little treasure trove of those movies. And I'm sure it'll be, there'll be conflicts. There'll be bumps as to everybody wants more of the worlds or whatever else it might be. So I'm, I'm really, I'm now I have to have a di- little discussion with Colleen of, so what is it that we really want to have like in-house so that we can watch it whenever we want? Something we have already bought. We have all the Mel Brooks movies because we love to be able to young, watch Young Frankenstein whenever we want. And Pink Panther and certain ones that just crack me up. I We used to have a copy of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and I don't know. I think that went away, and I'm not sure how. But if that isn't the case, that's one of the ones I'm going to bubble up to the top of my queue. So that as of that magic date, set, and I'm... I think that for us, it's going to be not a lot of what everybody finds popular. I might get all my top 10 choices because right. we're going to go for the more quirky, unique exactly. to us. You know what I mean? But what a nice, what a decent thing for Netflix to do is yeah. not just, yeah, all those deep, we put them in a landfill and buried them. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's you know, I cool. jokingly said when they announced that, I'm like, hey, you feel like buying DVDs and going into the DVD shipping business? <laughs> because it's just dying. <laughs> it's not necessarily worth it. And which is exactly why they're getting out. Right. Yeah. It's a yeah. shame. It's it is one of it it is, I'm hoping that for some of the things we want like we we did I think I mentioned this before. We did a thing called aficionados. By that meaning AFI, the American Film Institute, has their list of top hundred movies ever made, American. And we watched them from one hundred up to one. A bunch of us got together and watched these two movies once a month on a Sunday. And what a great filmic education course and an appreciation for great movies great actors and actresses in their roles i guess it's just actors nowadays you could really see the growth of various different directors as they got better at their craft anyway i think it'll be harder to do that kind of thing you got to find them at your library you got to find them perhaps from another dvd mailing service but i don't know of one i was so dependent i was so happy with netflix i never looked into an alternate to that so Maybe they'll still be out there, but I also know everything we've gotten from the library, DVD, or VCR. Boy, has it been chewed on. Yeah, Some yeah. kid like wrote on it with a pencil, or they spilled a whole malted milkshake into or, it, or, or something. somebody just left it sitting on the floor for people to walk on for three months before they like brought it that. Back. They had it in the the back of their car in the sun window, so it's yeah. all. So it might be that there's going to be some things that are going to be so, really hard to find soon. We'll so see. here's a slight hope to okay. be to be TV. Uh, If you've maybe seen that streaming service, they are growing and getting huge each year. They've been growing. They did 720 million last year, they reported, I believe. But they have a lot of the, not the top brand, not the newest stuff, not the biggest blockbusters. It's quirky stuff. And Reese and I, for our horror podcast, we find a lot of movies there because they have a lot of those horror movies that you can't find anywhere else, literally. So I'm wondering if Tubi's really cool. going to start trying to pick some of these up, if they're even available. That's the problem. A lot of these DVD movies are not available in digital in any format. Nobody's spent the time and money to transfer it. To digitize, to transfer, exactly. If they're, I don't know, like I said, we, I hope that even if it was still only on VCR, they still have a whole VCR section at the library. And if you still got a VCR player, 
it's limited, but it's like that's the way to see Spartacus. If you really can't get Spartacus in a digital version, but you want to watch what was an Oscar-winning movie 50 years ago or something like that, I'm sure there's all kinds of things. I would be curious about what Tubi has to offer. I don't know that I'm that big of a nostalgist, but for those kinds of things, I want to watch all the Alfred Hitchcocks. I think I mentioned all the Woody Allens, all the Cone brothers. And if you've been making movies for 50 years, those early ones might not be easy to find. Blood Simple, I just watched from the Cone brothers, and I could swear it hadn't been available because I had looked for it a couple of times on any of my Netflix, Amazon, not Tubi, Hulu. Nobody had it, and then it did appear. So I think that there's contracts, licensing agreements that get signed and they have it for a year or like I said, three or six months and then it goes away again. Disney did that very purposefully by managing their collection so that when they put it out, everybody had to watch Dumbo because it wasn't going to be around forever. You had to watch it in the three months window that it was in and then boom, went back into the vaults. I think that there's going to be a lot of does that for corporate greedy reasons, not (laughs) something else. Yeah. And for rude reasons. Exactly. I will check into Tubi because there really are, again, not out of nostalgia, but I sure have an appreciation for, there's old Perry Mason episodes that are really good. There's old Columbo. There's old things that not only when I was growing up, I would love to be able to watch like your show shows from Sid Caesar and Imogene Coca and that. Watch all of them. Ernie Kovacs was a hero of my father's. And I would, I actually have bought a collection of his where I really did watch every single episode and their fifties and their cornball and their misogynist. And they're still funny as hell. If you can just kind of let it go, that's what it was like. Everybody yeah. smoked. And here, Will, I know we're getting close to the time. Yeah, yeah. Here's my thought for the day. You know what? Smoking might have killed more people than misogyny. I'm not sure about that. But like that whole acceptance of various different things in our culture, about smoking culture, about war culture, about every, there are various different things that have to be corrected in our world. And yet there's still maybe a priority order in which we have to pursue them. So I hate the fact that my friends can't get married or they couldn't until a few years ago. And yet, is that the same as genocide? I don't think so. You know what I mean? It isn't allowing them to be treated like a full human being. That's terrible and a tragedy and absolutely unfair. And yet, sometimes you have to make the choice of, but maybe we should be saving lives, not just bettering lives. I don't know where to draw that line. I know that it's more apparent nowadays because sometimes we really seem to go off into the weeds about what's the most important problem we should be working on. And we could fix everything about constitutional rights and still all die when our planet overheats. Yeah. You know what I mean? So please, everybody, don't take this. And I'm saying, no, back to the terrible 1860s. I don't want that. And yet you have to start saying there's got to be a priority. We only have a certain amount of time and money and attention you have to start doing it for fix the planet. Fix, we just had a typhoon. They're calling it a hurricane, but I'm pretty sure that it's the typhoon because it's the Pacific. Hit the coast of California. It hit Nevada. The first time they've ever had a tropical storm hit Nevada. Yeah. Like, when is when are people going to wake up that we have really screwed the world up? And that's not going to be a wonder. That's going to happen with increasing frequency. And I don't know. People are dying and there's billions of dollars of damage. And I'm willing to trade that off for, I don't know. I don't know what I'm willing to trade it off for. I know that's an important thing. Someone told me, I swear a lot, fuck. And if someone said, we're going to criminalize that and you can't do that anymore. But in exchange for that, we're going to fix the planet. I would be, I will be happy to be Pollyanna in my speech. (laughs) If you You really do that. 
I guess exactly that. I'll just I'll be a, a pretty little parasol bearing girl. I'll be and, happy to. <laughs> and to make it worse, are the people that want the power that are confusing the issues by saying they're doing this? It's genocide. No, look up the definition. That's not. But you get people going, yeah, genocide. What are you about? Oh my god! It's your fight, and they're purposefully making it rough to get their way because you can vote yes, you can vote no, or you could not vote. Essentially not voting is no. Then they know that they're... I don't know, an overall awareness of that that's absolutely part of the cowardly asshole party's um, way of doing things is find the wedge issue that's going to get people inflamed about nothing and harp on that so that while they're doing all the corruption and all the damage and all the forever gerrymandering evil so they can't be gotten out of power they're distracting you with transgender bathrooms and it's just the weirdest thing about how we were like yeah yeah that's a big issue it isn't in the scheme of are you going to have it's a big issue but not in the way that climate change is like that and i don't know not everything is big not everything is the most important maybe that's everybody that had a job that said these are your three number one priorities i'm going to need you to learn how the english language works <laughs> that you can't give me three top priorities right. and but everybody has been so accepting of that the hysteria that goes with the crazy issue of the week instead of keep your eye on the ball Where's the money going? Where's the real evil happening? You know what I mean? There's war in the world, and it didn't happen because we decided to focus on this endangered species being saved, but that's the distraction they continually use about we it's just terrible. Go, it's folks, just terrible the go look up, that we see. Go oh. look up the history of Harry Houdini and David Copperfield and learn what the term misdirection means. <laughs> misdirection, exactly. And I don't know. I'm as guilty as any others. I have multiple news sources and I try to not get distracted by celebrity gossip or the latest outrage engine that's trying to crank up it. I try not to be distracted by that, but it's hard when the entire world knows that gets eyeballs and attention. And that's how the various different social media keep me looking. You know, I'd have to become a monk to not be subjected to all the terrible online stuff and newscast stuff like i thought i was being all noble by i'm not going to watch tv news anymore because it's just 30 minutes of horror and then i go online and i look at google news or reddit or anywhere and it just is what bubbles to the top is all the things that are terrible but don't really matter that's a weird way to put it but the outrage machine is really good at cranking that kind of stuff up and we lose sight of even beyond global warming, if we just fixed pollution in the United States, how many lives we would save? And that there's a great cartoon about that. What if we did all these things? And oh, no, it wasn't about global warming, but it was about making sure that we had clean air and clean water. And by loosening all the monitoring and the prosecution of those crimes, we've let that happen. More people right. are dying of cancer. And, More people. And <laughs> I think there are many things we can do in many steps. And I think everybody helping is definitely good. But this is the misdirection thing again. People are like, oh, we're saving the planet because we're recycling. We're doing this. That's great. Wonderful. But you're letting the other stuff go. And if you look at it, is recycling maybe 1% of the overall problem? So we could get everybody recycling and it's 1%. It's really not even going to be noticeable, unfortunately. I'm throwing these numbers out, making them up. My point of it is people should look at what is causing the problems and where do we need to put the biggest focus, get the biggest change right away. We talk about it in games all the time. I can move here and get this or that, but if I move there, I could wipe this whole thing out and I could get a bigger, stronger position. 
That's right. our type of move it's that we strategic need. Strategic thinking instead of tactical. I just yeah. saw a good example of this. I think in the UK, they just passed a rule that says they're not going to give out paper receipts anymore because it causes pollution. And someone said, maybe there's a group being disadvantaged here because the elderly really depend on paper receipts. They're not into the smartphone things. But really, it's the entire issue is, if you're going to stop something from being produced, how about plastics? How about right. paper is one of the most renewable, compostable, it'll degrade into the environment, whereas you have 10,000-year plastics nowadays that they are sitting there in the landfills or in the oceans, and they turn into microplastics, and everything is swallowing them, and now we're getting results from that. And having said that, every time that they pass a law about, hey, we got to make sure that we stop the use of spray paint, because that's causing crime. Wow, how about if we do something that really has an impact on crime and public safety and public health, and not you get to have the illusion of, wow, you're the crusader that made progress with nothing. And instead, like that, focus on the plastics, focus on the big deals that happened that made hundreds of billions of dollars go away, not the one court case where someone spilled coffee right. in their pile. Yeah, no I, one, I, just, I agree. Uh, Kids running around spray painting boxcars. Okay, it might be a crime and illegal. <laughs> but compared to some of the other stuff that politicians and the uber rich do that doesn't seem that bad to me besides if i'm at a train crossing i like watching all the graffiti tags go by <laughs> i'm getting some entertainment out of it at least honestly if i had train cars i would say look i don't want you guys here at night when you could get hurt and then i'm in trouble or my dogs are here and you get ripped to shreds or <laughs> you're stealing something because it's dark our trains will be here at this time. You guys have spray paint? You want to tag them? Come and do So now what's going to happen is the mustache-twirling evil guy is going to say, hey, all you guys, spray paint my cars all you want. So now it's a public-spirited thing. The contents of those cars are, of course, illegal munitions and pollution crap that I'm trying to ship far away from where I am. And for all I know, human trafficking. But don't worry, as long as we gussy up the cars, you'll not suspect the evil that's yeah. going on in we, these very different things. We are much too cynical. <laughs> and that's the note we're going to end on. Exactly cynical, guys. <laughs> okay. As always, a pleasure talking and we'll see you next week. And uh, let's see, next week is already, no, it's not Labor Day yet. So we not still have, quite. okay. Very good. You need to go see Blue Beetle, though. Yes. In fact, we haven't seen Barbie nor Blue Beetle yet. And that's, we really do have such an open schedule and just haven't made it to like the matinee where it's us in the movie and some popcorn. Nobody right. else is in the place. Well, I, I haven't so. seen Barbie. My son's seen it a couple times. Okay. He loved the Turtles movie, too. He's seen that for the fifth time this ah, weekend. Yes. Yeah, I will probably watch Barbie, but when it comes on streaming, I got to pick and choose what I want, and I'd rather go see Blue Beetle, and it was well worth it. I had a great time with Blue Beetle. I really like that version of the comic book where they totally put outside Ted Cord and older things and made it the young Latino and all the wonderful family componentry of that. It just yeah. I'm looking forward to yep. it. So, Colin's a very good. tough critic on this stuff, and he loved it also. So That's a great recommendation. Tell yeah. Colin. Okay. All right, man. All right. Have a Take good care, week. Steve. Always a pleasure. Okay. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, relentlessgeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.